We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. we can find this individual has not been charged with anything you said this is one of the most sweeping investigations in history uh, have you seen that video or th those frames from that video so as I um, uh, said at the outset uh, one of the norms of the Justice Department is to not comment on impending investigations and particularly not to comment about uh, particular scenes or particular individuals well, the individual that the Attorney General refuses to answer questions about is a man named Ray Epps. So why is he potentially important here? Well, according to a new investigation from Revolver, Epps may have led the breach team that first entered the Capitol on January 6th. Moreover, Revolver also reports that the FBI stealthily removed Ray Epps from its Capitol violence uh, most wanted list on July 1st. Why would they do that? Congressman Thomas Massey has been looking into this, joins me now. Congressman, what did Garland's reaction there tell you? I mean, they, they aren't supposed to comment on ongoing investigations. He's right about that. But this Epps thing, when they were getting grandma, you know, uh, you know hauling grandma in for questioning, but this guy doesn't get, uh, he just kind of disappears. Very odd. Well, look, in light of the recent revelations that half the plotters in the Whitmore kidnapping plot were FBI agents or informants or assets, and in light of that video, which in part of that video, Laura, the crowd is chanting, Fed, 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 at the gentleman in question. I thought it was only fair to give Merrick Garland, the chief law enforcement officer of the country, a chance to clear this up. Look. Yeah. I'm not, you know, he can comment. By the way, I followed up with another question. I said, okay, don't comment on any of the suspects. Just comment on your own officers in general. How many were there? How many uh, encouraged the crowd to breach the Capitol? And how many themselves went into the Capitol? He can absolutely answer those questions, Laura. In fact, earlier in that hearing, he answered Jim Jordan's question. He said there would be no FBI agents at school board meetings. Well, if he can tell well, us there were that, then he could tell us there were none there on January 5th or January 6th. Well, they've said multiple times there'll be no stone left unturned. It'll be the biggest, it's the biggest investigation we've ever done in the history of the FBI. But you just mentioned this, Congressman, so we need to play it. The moment that the crowd seem, seems to be on to him. Watch. 
Congressman, the crowd was highly suspicious that the feds were trying to infiltrate the, you know, the, the rally there. Has anyone been able to explain this individual yeah. not being in custody, questioned, removed from any kind of uh, list that the FBI had assembled? It's highly suspect that his, his picture was on the FBI webpage and then they took it down after six months. And, and I thought this was a sweeping investigation. This begs another question, Laura. If the Attorney General is not going to answer any of our questions in the Judiciary Committee about January 6th, then why does the January 6th Committee, Pelosi and Cheney's committee here in Congress exist? I presume he's not going to answer any of their questions either. I mean, why does that committee exist? It, you know, Merrick Garland, we should give him another chance. He should come on TV and answer this question. We're not asking about anybody who's going to be convicted. We're only asking about his assets and his agents. Uh, now, at the time, they weren't his, but they work for him now. All right, Congressman, how, wait, how we're going to follow present? up. Well, we got it. We're going to follow up with you. Thank you very much. Okay. Welcome to We the Deplorables. I am your host, Sherry Wilson. This is a place for freedom, faith, and family, and also questioning and we are finally into the players of the January 6th, the suspicious players of January 6th. And um, let me pull up my notes here. I have a lot of notes um, that I will be reading from. The dominant source for uh, this episode is uh, Revolver uh, News. And I will have a link in the show notes to it. So that you can, you know, check this out. Actually, I have links to everything that we're going to discuss today that you can check out. Okay, so I'm sure you noticed that um, that was Laura uh, Ingram. And she mentioned a man named Ray Epps. Now, his name keeps coming up in the January 6th so-called insurrection, capital breach, if you want to call it that. We've already looked at the Whitmer plot and... By the way, that case is actually falling apart as we speak because the defense has done a really good job proving that over half of the people that were uh, involved in that were actually FBI agents, including the ringleader, like we discussed a couple weeks ago. Uh, I believe personally that was a dry run to see um, what they could do as far as breaching a capital. I don't have any proof of it. Uh, it just seems very interesting that all of that went down in Michigan at the Capitol, and then here we have uh, January 6th. So Re Revolver has been investigating the Capitol breach for months, and they've attained a lot of video evidence. And again, their link is the top link of which you can go and see all these videos where Ray Epps is one of the primary orchestrators of the very first breach team that committed illegal acts that day, yet he is not on the FBI's most wanted list. Well, he was until he was quietly removed. The first breach led by his team, which we'll go into some of the evidence, occurred at 12.50 p.m., which was 20 minutes before President Trump finished his speech. Many of his supporters were still 30 minutes away from the Capitol. 
He worked with several others. Some of them still remain unindicted. So who exactly is Ray Epps? Well, when he was put on the FBI's Most Wanted as suspect number 16, uh, you know, they asked the public for help in finding this man. And so he wasn't hard to find. Uh, he uh, served in the Marine Corps. He worked his way up to sergeant. He has a ranch in Arizona, and he owns an events business. In fact, he was interviewed on January 11th by a local newspaper called the Arizona Central. I wish I had the video, but what I can tell you is that in that interview, he confirmed that he is the man who the night before and the day of encouraged Trump supporters to go inside the Capitol in five separate exchanges, which were all recorded live uh, by people, you know, just pulling out their phones and recording during the event. He tried to say in the article that he meant that they should go in the doors like anyone else. It was the way people went in that was wrong. Well, because they were in session to certify the stolen election, it was actually trespassing. You can't just walk into the Capitol anytime you want when they're in session. Now, in spite of video evidence, in spite of the public finding this man in his own admission, Ray Epps is a free man. He was never arrested, and almost a year later, the FBI refuses to discuss Mr. Epps. By January 8th, he was on the FBI Capital Violence Most Wanted list. He was, again, suspect 16 out of 486 suspects. The fact that he was one of the first 20 out of those 486 reveals that he was a top priority for FBI investigators. And the public found him quickly, and they even started using hashtags like hashtag crowd control, hashtag tag uh, fed boomer, hashtag tag, good grief, big mago camo. So then after that, for six months, the FBI did nothing with suspect number 16 until on July 1st. Between 3.37 a.m. and 5.55 p.m., the FBI quietly took suspect number 16 down from the most wanted Capitol riots database. Not because he was arrested, he just disappeared. And you could see the before and afters in the revolver link. Because when they arrest someone, they actually put the words arrested at the bottom. And then there are no case dockets or filings against Epps at all. Now, left-wing and Antifa accounts were all over Ray Epps from the start, but Trump supporters weren't aware of him until about June 17th when a shocking, verifiable live stream video uh, began to uh, go viral on tweet that showed all of the occasions when Epps was instructing Trump supporters to go to the Capitol, which you heard in some of the video I played. Their response was they would shout him down, they'd say no, they'd start chanting fed, fed, fed. And understandably, they're wondering why the Justice Department has not arrested Epps and why they keep saying there's a lack of evidence that anyone had pre-planned the storming of the Capitol when it's obvious that Epps and his team not only instigated it, but they also planned it. Then you have the New York Slimes, I mean Times, they tried to run cover for the FBI, FBI's lies and a couple of things, saying that Epps and another man named Michael Sparks acted on their own. The only problem is that the videos show Epps 
giving explicit instructions minutes before the first breach to certain individuals. One of those individuals is called Maroon P as in Peter, B as in Bob, an ex-Marine commando. He's the one that kept antagonizing officers with his bullhorn. And you can hear Maroon PB say noted after receiving instructions from Epps. You can also hear Epps then say one more thing. He then, pointing to the bear spray that was in Maroon PB's uh, pants, he said, when we go in, leave this here. Another FBI protected player is Stuart Rhodes. The reason he's important is he is a founder and leader of the Oath Keepers Militia. Revolver reported on June 30th uh, his uh, involvement in the Oath Keepers, which they were indicted. But prosecutors argue that it was Rhodes who established the Oath Keepers conspiracy, Rhodes who recruited people into the conspiracy, Rhodes who organized and gave key instructions to the conspirators, Rhodes who suggested the use of illegal weapons such as collapsible batons, Rhodes who activated the conspiracy in real time on January 6th via text messages and phone calls to his lieutenants from 1.38 to 2.40 p.m., Rhodes who waited on the Capitol steps for the completion of the conspiracy from approximately 3.40 to 4 p.m., and Rhodes, who later congratulated everyone on a conspiracy well done at 7.14, the Oath Keeper's indictment cites 18 phone calls as evidence of coordination of a common conspiracy. Stuart Rhodes is the person either calling or being called in 10 of these 18 calls. So put another way, Rhodes makes or receives 55% of all phone calls in a massive conspiracy case spanning 16 defendants. When you combine the phone calls involving Rhodes and those involving the mysteriously unindicted person number 10, who Rhodes appointed his ground commander for the day, the number rises to 100% of all phone calls. So the Oath Keepers was definitely involved in the January 6th capital breach and they and the oath keepers has a long history of fbi infiltration rhodes was epps old boss in 2011 to 2012 epps was an arizona state chapter leader of the oath keepers which is the biggest chapter in the country but oddly the oathkeepers.org deleted several blog posts that featured epps where he was listed as both president and press contact before January 6, Wayback Machines, which is an automatic archiving process, which means nothing is ever deleted from the internet, instead it's archived, shows posts with Epps that they were dormant from 2011 until January 27, 2021, and then at 3 p.m. they were deleted. Oath Keepers has been indicted for the capital breach, but Rhodes, as far as I know, even at this date, is still not indicted or arrested, and neither is Ray Epps. So let's go through his actions. And again, you can watch the videos um, on uh, Revolver's website that I will link to in this article or in the show notes. But let's start with January 5th, okay? Because that's when Epps started getting uh, actively involved. So from approximately 10.30 p.m. to midnight, uh, on January 5th, there's several um, clips that occurred around the newly named Black Lives Matter Plaza at 16th Street 
Northwest in DC, which is which was just blocks from the White House. Trump supporters had flown in from all around the country to protest uh, and gather together, which is our First Amendment right. They had just been separated from Antifa and BLM counter-protesters, some of whom began to violently attack Trump supporters that strayed from the main crowd. Some of Trump supporters, including isolated women, were beaten senseless and bloody on the street, and the crowd was agitated as a result. So you'll hear um, um, in some of the clips on Revolver's website uh, that some, you know, a Trump supporter says they're not Americans or terrorists, referring to Antifa and the BLM group members that attacked them. So it's almost like uh, Revolver, you know, says it's almost like a West Side story where you've got these two gangs being separated by a police line. On the Trump side, Ray Epps held court, and he began instructing the Trump crowd to redirect their energies from counter-protesters and join his plot to go inside the Capitol the next day instead. Now, again, the Trump crowd immediately identified Epps' proposal to storm the Capitol as something that only a Fed would propose. This freeze frame of MAGA faithful pointing fingers at Epps while calling him a Fed is uh, humorous, and that's on Revolver's website. January 6th was scheduled as a Trump rally. So in the 323 rallies before Trump took office and the 168 thereafter, there has never been a single instance of rioting or pre-planned illegal activity. Lawbreaking before January 6th was zero in 491 Trump rallies. So that's why, you know, Epps not being, number one, arrested is suspicious, but also that his baiting to get them to the Capitol, he stuck out like a sore thumb because these are peaceful patriots. And he was quickly shouted down. Uh, now, this, uh, you know, was not the first time Epps held court, um, you know, with the BLM Antifa and all that, and he's trying to redirect their attention. Um, in another clip, which you can watch earlier that evening, Epps gave the exact same spiel, almost as if his lines were practiced. And he also said, I probably shouldn't say this because I'll probably get arrested before making the same capital invasion pitch. And then he delivers the same theatrical pause after in when he tells them we need to go in to the Capitol. Now, in every instance, Epps barges in to other people's conversations unwanted to make his appeal. So Trump supporters at this point, they become hostile toward him uh, because he's been openly disrespectful and they became openly disrespectful. Well, then it elicited a sympathetic rejoinder from other Trump supporters who appeal that Epps should be thanked for his military service. Guys, it doesn't matter. Just because someone's in the military doesn't mean that they're trustworthy. Okay, so this is... Um, why it's so frustrating when people trust people in robes and military implicitly. Now, Epps was insistent, and he kept trying to focus everyone on a common mission, which was storming the Capitol. On multiple live streams, Epps moved from group to group through the plaza, barging in, insisting everyone stay focused on what we're here for, which he insisted going inside the U.S. Capitol building. 
Now, when he was asked to give a reason for why he wants to do that, he'd say it's about the Constitution. Now, in another young cl- uh, another clip, a young woman with a bullhorn addresses the Trump crowd's grievances with various left-wing adversaries, including BLM, George Soros, and COVID tyranny. At that moment, Epps rushes in to stop and refocus her toward storming the Capitol. So that's when people start yelling, Fed, Fed, Fed. So while some of the action occurs off camera in the live stream, you can still see how he is interacting with the crowd and he's trying to give them uh, directions to storm the Capitol tomorrow. And he kept saying, just give me one minute so that he can make his pitch. And someone in the crowd that was agitated said, we'll just give them 30. So this cycle repeats itself again and again during a 90 minute time frame in the plaza. He would move from group to group to get them, quote, focused on the mission for the next day. And then whenever a different speaker or conversationalist aired a different grievance against any MAGA adversary, he would insist, we're here for another reason. Okay? Uh, So this is very, very interesting how hard he is working um, to get them to go into the Capitol. Now, there's also something, another character that's very interesting named John Sullivan, and we'll get into him uh, a little bit later in this podcast. Okay, so back to Ray Epps. Basically, you've got Epps with a known agitator, a, a provocateur, John Sullivan, and they're sharing the same video frame in the same group conversation on the same night. And even John Sullivan, like he jokes about Epps and says that he must be some uncover, undercover agent type, you know, S-H-I-T. So the simultaneous presence of both Epps and then Sullivan really suggests that they might not have been there by accident. Now, Ray Epps senses that some Trump supporters might be antagonizing the police. So in another video clip, you see him rushing over to back them away and to protect the police, which would be fine, except that he is telling them to commit an illegal activity. Later in the conversation, some Black Lives Matter members approach the crowd of Trump supporters and Ray Epps makes the same pitch to them about their common purpose with Trump supporters, and the 1-6 protest being about the Constitution. His behavior, of course, drew antagonism from the Trump side because they're confused why he's kissing up to BLM. But he was a man on a mission, and he did not want to hurt cops, and he did not want to get entangled in anything with BLM and Antifa, so he's trying to keep them uh, uh, you know, focused on the Capitol breach the next day, which is why the hashtag crowd control began to show up. Okay, so then you have the actions of January 6th from 10.24 a.m. to 12.50. So the first known clip of Epps on January 6th was at 10.24 with a GPS position at the Washington Monument. President Trump spoke from 12.10 until 1 p.m. So this puts Epps on the outside entrance to Trump's National Mall speech hours before it started. In this clip, Epps yells out, after the speech, we're going to the Capitol, where our problems are. Before he departs for the Capitol himself, he wants to make sure he has in everything in his power to get as many people at the Capitol after the speech as possible. Now, 
If you look at the clip, no one around him is doing anything even remotely like what he's doing. People are just walking around. They're, you know, enjoying their time in D.C. They're not doing anything to, um, you know, uh, do a capital breach. But Epps appears to have a breach team. This team took down the very first police barricades of the day. They overran the very first police officers and they opened the floodgates for thousands of Trump supporters to walk onto restricted capital grounds past the barricades. So because they were quickly removed and there's no other signs or reason to know that these were off limits or restricted, Ray Epps was part of the initial squad that led men like Jeremy Brown, who's been charged for misdemeanor trespassing, into a booby trap. So again, these people had no idea. Now, I'm not saying those that were unruly or that maybe assaulted the grounds or assaulted other people should not you know, pay for their crimes. But as if you heard the very first video uh, or audio from the video of Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about how they're being treated in the D.C. jail, you know we have got a situation where there are political prisoners. And so these people did not know they were trespassing. Now, at some point after 10.24 a.m., Epps begins walking eastward from the Washington Monument. So the next video shows him at the Capitol grounds western entrance at 12.50, and he's inching his way forward to the police barricade line. Trump's speech did not end until 1 p.m. So the front line of the early Epps crowd would overrun the barricades while Trump, a 25-minute walk away from the Capitol, still had 20 minutes left in his speech. What, why is this important? He did not cause this uh, Capitol breach. He was still giving his speech. It had already started before he even got done with his speech and before any of the crowd listening to him could have even gotten to the Capitol. So they, you know, either had not listened to Donald Trump uh, or maybe, you know, they were just hanging around, checking things out. I don't know. So now we come to the two most important clips. We've got footage that depicts Epps directing a number of men in the very first attack on the Capitol in that fateful day. And then researchers refer to the gang who took... Um, you know, orchestrated this kickoff attack as Breach Team 6, which is a word play, obviously, on SEAL Team 6. Researchers have assigned nicknames to all of the main characters involved in the Breach Team 6. Many have not remained mysteriously unnamed, unidentified, and unindicted. One main character, Ray Epps, of course, appears to be the team leader. So here is the claim. The 12.50 p.m. attack was the very first attack on January 6, kicking off the entire so-called riot. This is not a claim that was just made by Revolver. It's the claim that was made by the New York Times, the Justice Department, and all other official pundits of 1-6. Now, um, the uh, New York Times, describing all this handiwork, um they said that the eastern crowd remained largely behind the uh, barricades, but all that changed when the, with the arrival of rioters that uh, came around from the side of the building. The more violent group was a trigger that put the entire mob over the edge, spurring them to push easily through the line of officers and around the Capitol on every 
front. Now, this is uh, an act of deception by the New York Times in order to create a deceptively edited video timeline to, to support their false claim that Ray Epps acted on his own. You can see in the videos at Revolver that he is providing instructions to a man that the FBI still lists in its most wanted database as suspect 273. They, uh, a lot of researchers have given him the name hashtag Maroon PB, and he is seen marching with the Proud Boys both on January 6th and at the earlier December 12th and November 14th Stop the Steel rallies, and he's wearing maroon during the Capitol raid. Okay, so the FBI, they're trying to say that they can't find Maroon PB, but it's interesting because there are several pictures of him at these rallies, uh, full face shots, maskless. He has unmistakably unique knuckle tattoos that you can read because of the photos are so pristine. Plus, he has two full tattoo sleeves. And his shirt says Marines, just like Ray Epps, and a guy named Ryan Samsel. Who is Ryan Samsel? Okay, so just uh, minutes later... Ryan Samsel will kick off the riot by being the first person to shove the police barricades. But just 2.6 seconds before he kicks off the riot, he lends his ear to Ray Epps, who's, who whispers something in turn. Okay? So, why is he listening to Ray Epps? Well, Ray Epps wasn't just talking to him. He was also talking to Maroon PB. Okay, so Maroon PB is uh, later recorded hurling himself through the main Columbus doors at the Capitol at 2.38 p.m., and then he's chilling in the senator's offices. And again, the FBI says that they can't find him. They, can't, they don't know who he is. Um, they also say that he is the same person that used uh, bear spray, um, wielding the exact same bear spray that uh, George Tanius was falsely accused of using against Officer Sicknick. So, again, the New York Times is running uh, interference for the FBI, and they drew a white box around an empty stream of air claiming that it was George spraying bear spray at Officer uh, Sicknick when there is no bear spray. George never sprayed bear spray, and later, the New York Times had to retract the story, and then the appeals court overruled George's denial of bail. And all of this was thanks to Revolver's forensic analysis of the footage. Well, again, that's the same bear spray that Epps, or that Maroon PB had. Okay, so according to the FBI, Maroon PB coordinated the breach on both sides of the U.S. Capitol building. He directed members of his team into restricted areas. He physically removed police barricades, and he even ran around the U.S. Capitol building enter, entering the center's office, offices. Okay, on January 6th, this individual, Maroon PB, can be seen communicating with others and initiating the west side of the U.S. Capitol. He then moves to the east side to assist with the breach, moving barricades and directing people inside. 273, that's suspect 273, enters into Capitol at approximately 238 at the east doors, and they're asking for people to call the FBI. Okay, uh, here's the thing. Maroon PB repeatedly cites the exact same, it's about the Constitution line. 
Now, we know from FBI FOIA records that the FBI masquerades with copies of Oath Keeper pocket constitutions for use by its agents and assets in militia infiltration operations, and both Epps and Maroon PB cite the Constitution with the same lackluster conviction using the words as a nebulous conservative catch-all with no logical connection as to why a citizen should temporarily enter an off-limits federal building. So both of them are ex-military. And so you can see him hopping from breach to breach throughout the January 6th uh, Capitol riot, being in the lead in several of those breaches. But again, the FBI is saying they can't um, identify this person in spite of all of his tattoos, etc. Uh, now, Ray Epps is ordering this man around. In fact, um, let's see. Not only is he one of the um, earliest um, uh, people to breach it, but he then, of course, has the same bear spray. Well, when you look at the interactions between uh, Epps and uh, Maroon PB before the breach, Epps is talking to Maroon PB and he's pointing down at the bear spray that is in his pants and he's saying, leave that here. And then when we go in, he then says, we don't want to get shot. And when you look at footage post-breach, there is no bear spray in uh, Maroon PB's pants. Okay, so now, I mean, again, we've got Ray Epps directing things. We've got Maroon PB seemingly going from breach to breach, leading it. Let's get back to John Sullivan. John Sullivan is a very peculiar individual. Uh, he was actually the one that was on the scene, and he filmed the death of Ashley Babbitt. So as she lay dead or bloody and helpless, and she's dying, draped in a Trump 2020 flag, Sullivan is live streaming this to the world. Um, and his name on his, uh, like his watermark on his videos are Jaden X. So Jaden X is John Sullivan. And a lot of MAGA supporters and conservative politicians were immediately like, hey, he is an Antifa activist. Now, he has been purported to be a BLM Antifa activist in at least two U.S. major city U.S. major cities throughout 2020 before donning a MAGA hat and raiding the Capitol. Naturally, of course, the MAGA world will think it's you know shocking that a hardcore left-wing right activist turns up inside the U.S. Capitol building while shouting things like "Let's burn this you know down." We did this. We took this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He also defaced statues while inside the Capitol. He smashed a window of the Capitol, maybe by accident. We're not sure. While inside. And, and despite being detained on February 6th and questioned for an hour by both the Metropolitan PD and the FBI, John Sullivan was inexplicably released that very night. But he is not a BLM or Antifa activist in good standing. He has actually been kicked out and permanently banned from multiple Antifa communities because Antifa cell leaders suspect him as being an undercover FBI-handled agent provocateur sent to land them into jail. Now, I've used this word several times. What is an agent provocateur? This is one employed to associate with suspected persons 
and by pretending sympathy with their aims to incite them to some incriminating action. This was seen in the Whitmer plot. Okay? So, what if the provocateurs, infiltrators, and escalators of illegal activities weren't coming from Antifa and BLM? What if they were coming from uh, the FBI? Now, here's the deal. Um, there's typical behavior patterns of infiltrators and agent provocateurs that it's important to watch out for. And this, uh, these examples were a basis for ousting John Sullivan uh, from Antifa. So there's 12 of them. The first one is new to the community yet ignores safety standards, e eager to take on sudden leadership roles. Number two, burn bridges or untraceable ties from prior communities and lacking references. Number three, moving quickly through different organizations and leaving a wake of discourse or drama. Number four, charismatic zealous but acts without conviction. Number five, grandiose plans of action that are highly illegal and risky, but they want you to do it. Number six, gravitates toward towards other abusers and grifters. Number seven, poor OPSEC, InfoSec, lack of interest in protecting comrades' anonymity. Number eight, suspicious social media presence, new accounts, high number of followers with low engagement or circular engagement within a few similar accounts. Number nine, spending doesn't match stated source of income. Number 10, lashes out, makes accusations when confronted. Number 11, prioritizing personal, financial, reputational gain, grifting, profiteering, lack of transparency, centering their own story or brand, eager to talk to press. Number 12, police or fed connections, personal, uh, professional, and familial. All 12 of those red flags apply to several key figures in the 1-6 story uh, more significant than even John Sullivan. Ten of those apply to Ray Epps, and virtually all of them appear to apply to Stuart Rhodes, still unindicted, still uninvestigated, still FBI protected. Then CNN and NBC, Sullivan claims, paid him tens of thousands of dollars for his footage. But what's interesting is he's actually talking to a reporter, I believe from CNN. I might have played the video um, in the last couple episodes. I can't remember which one where he's like, wow, we did it. We actually got in. Oh, wait, I've got it. Let's listen to this again. This is John Sullivan. I, I couldn't say much. You are right. <laughs> you just have to wash my chest. Oh my god. Is this not gonna be the best film you've ever made in your life? That's no. it. Hell yeah. Oh yeah? Hell yeah. Wait, you weren't recording, were you? I'll delete that shit. But I didn't record you, Hermie. It was just voices. Okay. So this is uh, CNN's Jade Sacker celebrating their part and entering the Capitol and her getting a scoop. But like you said, I didn't say your name. We're just faces behind masks, of course. Very, uh, very convenient. Okay, um, let's see. Let me get back to my notes. Okay, now we've got him, and then I want to get to, um, let me get back down here. So we've got Maroon PB that we've gone through. 
Now we're going to get to Ryan uh, Samsel. And quite frankly, I think he's probably the patsy with all of this. At 12.53, the Big Bang sequence of January 6th explodes. It's the exact moment that the first police barricade breach is, it, it, you know, happens, and it's the star of the riot. As noted above, the New York Times and the Justice Department blame Ryan Samsel for starting the riot. They ignore the fact that just 2.6 seconds earlier, Samsel appeared to be taking explicit direction from Ray Epps, just like Maroon PB was. Okay, so Samsel is several bodies ahead of Epps when the clip starts. Epps then moves, Epps moves to the front of the line. He grabs Sam, Samsel from behind, stops him, freezes him in place with his hand, and then speaks directly into his ear with his arm around him. Now, most of it is inaudible, but you can actually hear some of it. Uh, Epps appears to say something like, we go west, although it could also be we go up. Uh, and then... Uh, let's see, what else does he say? Um, both Epps and Samsel travel together all the way up to the Western Plaza to the police uh, lines there. Now, Samsel is one of a small handful of man that, men that were involved in the breach team that have actually been arrested. His arrest came fairly quickly, just three weeks after January 6th. Now, the strange and continuing inability of the FBI to identify or charge the overwhelming majority of the breach team leaders um, suggests the fix may have been in for Samsel days or weeks in advance. This sounds very similar um, for the troubled defendant Adam Fox in the 46% Fed-saturated Michigan plot. And Samsel, he's about 37 years old. He's from Pennsylvania. He does appear um, to be quite troubled. Uh, but Samsel's attorney has talked about how he um, has been subjected to as, quote, what can only be described as an American soil Abu Jarab or Jaib style torture and beat down. Prison guards zip tied Samsel's hands before breaking bones and giving him lifelong injuries, including a shattered orbital floor, a broken or orbital bone, a broken jaw, and a broke nose. His right eye was rendered useless, and he may end up permanently blind on that side. All of this from torture beatings by prison guards. And then on top of that, Samson's legal scalp has been hoisted for ceremonial victory parades by the Justice Department. Even the typically prosecution maximalist New York Times reporter Alan Fuhrer appeared confused as to why the Justice Department so theatrically sing, 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 singled out Samson for a special press release simply for upgrading his charges in April. Uh, in April. So this is a tweet by Alan that you can read uh, as well. So again, you know, even uh, left-wing journalist Marcy Wheeler is perplexed as to why he is being isolated and so much attention is being given to him. Um, the main thing is there might be trying to shut down the discovery record that will show, like they are doing in Michigan, all of the FBI informants that are involved. That's one supposition. And uh, and then the New York Times appears to have accidentally given the game away on Samsel being trailed by confidential informants in the days before January 6th, while their September 25th article was called Among Those Who Marched Into the Capitol on January 6th, an FBI informant. There are at least two of them revealed 
In a detailed account of his activities contained in the records, the informant, who is part of the group chat of other Proud Boys, described meeting up with scores of men from chapters around the country at 10 a.m. on January 6th, the Washington Monument, and eventually marching to the Capitol. He said that when we, he arrived, throngs of people were already streaming past the first barrier outside the building, which he later learned was taken down by one of his Proud Boy acquaintances and a young woman with him. The second sentence of first barrier, which he later learned was taken down one, by one of the Proud Boy uh, acquaintances and a young woman appears to be a direct reference to Ryan Samsel and his girlfriend Rachel Ginko, also known as White Hoodie GF, as Samsel took down the first barrier with his girlfriend. This means the FBI were already aware of Ryan Samsel, his friend network, his Proud Boy associates, and very likely all coordination efforts among them for days, if not weeks, ahead of January 6th. So there's a difference between federal foreknowledge and federal incitement, which is the defense's, the defense counsel's accusations in the Whitmer case that this was a federal incitement. It's bad enough to have foreknowledge and do nothing to stop it. But what if there were actually uh, incitement? Given that the government and their allies in the regime media framed 1-6 as a 9-11 caliber domestic terror event, the possibility that elements of the federal government knew about in advance and yet sat back and let it happen for political purposes is incredibly damning. This would amount to nothing less than the government conspiring for the most malicious of political reasons to falsely cast tens of millions of law-abiding patriot Americans as domestic terrorists. So what happened after some journalists confronted Ray Epps? Well, this was published at Gateway Pundit on November 7th of uh, 2021. And just a little over a week ago, two citizen journalists, Kyle Glifton and American Grayson, confronted Ray Epps outside his ranch in Arizona about his his role with the notorious Oath Keepers and why he's mysteriously uh, disappeared off the FBI's person of interest list. Now, obviously, he wanted to have nothing to do with the questioning. Uh, once he realized why they were there, he got on his golf court and he golf cart and got away. Um, now, what's interesting, because it goes through, you know, all of the things that he did, well, after they confronted him on his ranch on October 27th, and a video of the incident went viral, they were contacted by Epps' daughter, Tiffany Jones, who wanted to speak with them about her father's role on January 6th and his potential involvement with the FBI. Clifton, with the help of American Populist Union, was able to conduct a video interview, which you can find on his YouTube channel, unless it's been taken down. During the interview, Tiffany Jones says that although she does not know for sure whether or not her father is an FBI informant, if he was, the news would not surprise her at all. She had only found out recently about Ashley Babbitt's murder, for which she holds her father personally responsible. Why? Because he's the one that told everybody to go into the Capitol. On November 5th, just one day after the interview with Epps' daughter, was posted online, Grayson owns a car, suspiciously following him home from the grocery store. When he got home, he unloaded his groceries, he went inside, and within minutes received a knock on his front door. And guess who it was? Two federal agents with the FBI. Hmm, interesting. And here's another thing that a lot of people don't know. 
So remember when um, Roger Stone was arrested with a SWAT team that CNN just happened to know about and were there to um, arrest him and to film it? Well, Roger Stone told the story uh, to Alex Jones, and no matter what you think about Alex Jones, um, these are from Roger Stone's own, his own mouth, that the Secret Service reached out to him on January 6th and they offered to escort him to the front of the march and into the Capitol, and he declined, very smartly declined. I mean, can you imagine if he would have been in there, what would have happened? He would have been arrested again. The only reason he was out now is because President Trump pardoned him. Now, we've all heard about the murder of Ashley Babbitt. When I was researching this story, because the reason this is so egregious is not just because of the political prisoners. People died. And of course we heard about Officer Sicknick where they lied and said that he was beaten to death with a, um, a fire extinguisher when he wasn't. He died of unrelated, um, um, I think it was stroking, um, stroked out. Uh, it had nothing to do with the, the riot. They had to retract that as well. There were actually people that were killed on unarmed Ashley Babbitt, but I discovered another lady that I had no idea about. She was killed by a police officer. I'll get the name. Um, they, the family has been denied her full autopsy report. I did see an update from Epoch, which I will get to in a second. But the uh, name's lady, or the lady's name is Roseanne Boyland. And the video footage shows her death after her father filed a Freedom of Information Act request to get the video showing her being beat to death by a police officer. Um, this is crazy. She was uh, beaten on the Capitol steps. And uh, Louie Gomer of uh, Texas, representative, asked Attorney, Attorney General Merrick Garland if a determination was ever made to the D.C. Metro police officer who struck her repeatedly in the head with a rod before she died. He then proceeded to lie to the nation in front of the House Judiciary Committee and said he believed there was an investigation. That was false. The Boylan family had uh, contacted the Department of Justice and they t were told there was no such investigation. The name of the D.C. Metro police officer is Lila Morris. She's the one that was seen beating Roseanne to death with her stick on the Capitol steps. Now, the lady's sister, Lana Case, says it's because she was a Trump supporter. There's no other explanation as to why they wouldn't care about the death of an American citizen, potentially by police. Just another dead Trump supporter. Who cares? That's the way I feel they're treating this. And on top of that, the government and mainstream media have smeared this woman and they inaccurately reported that she died of a drug overdose back in January. But she didn't. And eyewitness testimony proves that she more than likely died as a result of police brutality. These people are sick. Epoch Times released um, on December 27th that um, she was beaten and struck nearly 40 times in four minutes. I don't know. You know, it's like people, it's hard to believe that we've got people being beaten in jail. It's hard to believe that we've got people being denied um, 
medical treatment. It's hard to believe that people are being denied bail for trespassing. And it's hard to believe that over 50% of this population are being deemed terrorists just because they support President Trump. Remember the false flag military operations? It is my personal opinion that's exactly what we got here. So what action can you take? Well, the first thing is you need to be informed. And I've noticed in this last year it is almost impossible to get real news in a Google search. Used to, you could get a few hits when you would search for um, you know, different uh, things if you were uh, a conservative. Now you can't. It doesn't matter. If you try to search for anything that is positive or that is truth in Google, you will not get a single hit. For that reason, I have signed up, uh, and I've done so for a year, with Epoch Times, Daily Wire, and PragerU is really good as well. That's where you can get some real news. So stay informed and consider giving to the fund. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. Uh, I know Steve Bannon's War Room has talked about it. Fox has had um, a couple people on there. But a lot of these people that are still in prison, there's funds that you can give to help them uh, get out. And the other thing, uh, and for their legal fees, but the other thing is we need to pray for justice, guys, because the reports are there's a lot of D.C. lawyers that are trying to convince these people to just denounce Trump. Like, you have to denounce Trump. You can't just say that you're guilty. You have to denounce him before they'll even let you out. There, if At the most, there may be lackadaisical in the defense, they're for sure not going after this whole idea of there being FBI informants like the lawyers in Michigan are. We do have a couple good ones, though. This guy was interviewed on um, CNN, and he was basically cut off when he started talking about his role in helping people. Why don't you go ahead and uh, listen to this quick clip. I can become a lawyer. Before starting his own firm, McBride worked as a defense attorney with the Liberal Innocence Project exonerating the wrongly convicted with DNA evidence. If my firm and my team are stepping up and stepping to a case, it's because we believe in it. We have no choice, we're going in. We've submitted an exhibit to the court, um, a video taken from uh, uh, Richard's phone. We have no choice, we have no choice. Richard is one of the guys that was in the D.C. police or the D.C. jail that was um, abused, which I'll play a quick clip of his in a second, but he's defending him. He's being pushed in. Clearly, he's being swept in along with many other people against his will. Involuntary entry is an absolute defense to trespass. But people cross over the threshold of the Capitol, and in some cases, it's not until 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes later that they're even told to leave. On top of that, you have multiple instances where the doors have been opened. That's an invitation. The police here are willing to work with us and cooperate peacefully. Capitol officers have been talking to people, say, hey, listen, just don't break the furniture here. Show us. No attacking, no assault, remain calm. Just be peaceful and go. That's permission. Check this out. We are inside Her Nancy Pelosi's office. He ends up in Speaker Pelosi's office. He walks in there. The doors had been opened long before. There are two reporters. He's informed of where he's at. He goes, well, how about that? I'll paraphrase. And then the reporter says, you want to take a picture? 
But she says, sure. Have a seat at the desk. He sits down at the desk. The reporter says, don't pose, act natural. Richard sits back, takes a picture, puts his feet up on the desk, and the rest is history. So I wanted you to hear that they were given permission to go into those buildings or they were being pushed. There's a lot more to this story, but listen to um, Richard's experiences while he was uh, in jail. Time. They're being held under egregious conditions. Uh, I was incarcerated at first in a special unit, and the first thing I noticed about it was it was full of black mold. So and even in the, in the drinking water that came out of your sink, you could see the black mold down in there. And then you punished them by letting the guards physically assault them. Brian Samsel, two guards snuck into his cell in the middle of the night, zip-tied his hands behind his back. They pulled him out of the cell, took him down to the end where the camera showing. Uh, he followed instructions. They proceeded to beat the man to the point that he now has lost sight in one eye. And when I woke up the next morning, another friend of mine said, hey, Ryan's in trouble. Go down to the cell and check on him. I went down there, got him to turn around, and his whole face looked like hamburger meat. People are being tortured. They actually took me to general population, all chained up. Torture? Are you okay Torture. with people being tortured? What's the example Five you have? Miles from you like to say that? I had inmates wanting to stab me. They're telling me they're going to kill me. Uh, one of the guards at one point even threatened to come here and harm my wife. You should hold yourself accountable for what you're saying right now. I was physically abused. I've been slammed face first on the concrete. I'm not saying this for pity. I'm a strong man. Y'all didn't hurt me. Y'all did not hurt me. You did not hurt my spirit. I love my country. Pre-trial, absent any finding of fact, pre-trial, they're being held for hundreds of days in solitary confinement. They're being beaten. They're being starved. They're being denied medical care. They're being denied denied the right to worship. Torture. Joseph McBride, keep torture yelling torture. Okay. We'll stick Add with the, the facts. Thank you very much for joining us on New Day. The facts are torture. McBride, he's a hero in my estimation defending these people. So pray for justice. Go to um, the uh, link in the show notes for the hub apostolic training, uh, dot com. Get the uh, Take Action Save America download. Today's recommended reading is Lincoln's Battle with God by Stephen Mansfield. He's a great author. Uh, it's a great book. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, and I've got some good news. Now, next week, I'm going to dive into the Rittenhouse, because remember, we started this entire series on two cases that are crucial uh, to understand in the future of this country. So we'll, we'll dive into um, Kyle Rittenhouse's uh, trial and what all happened there uh, next week. But for now, Mystery Santa caught on CCTV sneaking around at night leaving gifts for residents to find. So he was um, spraying Christmas cheer by leaving uh, festive treats for residents in a quiet cul-de-sac. Baffled locals in Holbrook's Coventry uh, were left scratching their heads when candy cane suddenly appeared excuse me, appeared overnight outside their homes last week. One homeowner owner was pleasantly surprised when CCTV revealed the culprit was Father Christmas himself. Comical footage shows Santa and an accomplice dressed as a giant Christmas tree making the drop-offs uh, around Alderney Close in England in the middle of the night. Families say their children have been delighted when they awoke to discover sweets left behind on their mums and dads' cars ahead of the big day. 
resident Becky Leeper was left in hysterics when she checked back her security camera footage to see Santa and his helper delivering the gifts. Becky, a police staff worker who lives with husband Michael and his two children, said me and my husband found it really funny the first time. And then my, the second time, my husband thought someone was trying to break in our car, so opened the window and then burst out laughing. The tree then walked all the way up our drive and put a candy cane on the van as well and then went up to the neighbors. The kid thinks it... The kids think it's really funny and that Santa is having them delivered. We're waiting to see who it will be this Sunday. We all think it's great. And after such a rubbish year, it's good to lift spirits. It's nice for people to have a good laugh. And the kids get excited to know who it is when everyone else is so negative. Another local resident, Des Carpenter, said, It certainly has spread a bit of festive cheer, that's for sure. And it's a lovely thing for them to do. Until next week, God bless America. Thank you.